right now it's just yeah i just have no idea <laughs> there's so many variables involved to the point where i can't really read the market so it's just believing in your products and yeah just trying to maintain quality and pricing Cafes are the lifeblood of Melbourne, and I think we've never appreciated them more than over the past couple of years. Someone whose cafes I have been watching with great interest and enjoyment over, I don't know, the past five or six or seven years is Reiji Honor. He has Haiku Cafe in Camberwell and Future Canteen next door. Reiji, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thank you so much, Danny. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on. So as I say, I've visited your cafes um, in different parts, I suppose mostly the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. They've slowly become bigger, more ambitious, more complex. Um, tell us about what you're doing at the moment. Yeah, so um, I kind of found my feet down here in these sleepy suburbs that you've mentioned. Um, and I've kind of hovered around Burwoody, Boxwood, and now I'm based in Camwell obviously under the name Haiku. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, I think everyone's kind of wrapped their head around the idea, but it's obviously Japanese fusioned um, cafe scene. Um, a lot of inspiration is brought upon my home cooking with my mother, my, my Japanese mother. And yeah, it's just inspired into a bit of a, um, an opportunity to kind of morph both the brunch scene and Japanese techniques. And yeah, we do um, cafes and brunch, obviously, throughout the week. We've got a bit of an izakaya nighttime session happening as well on Thursday, Friday and Saturdays. And now recently um, opened the Future Canteen, which you've just mentioned, which is more like a kombini concept, like a convenience store with all your little Japanese goods and bentos and things like that. Yeah. And how did you get started? What made you want to go into cafes in the first place? Um, it just kind of occur occurred, I guess. Um, hospitality just seemed to click um, from such a young age. I started at Gloria Jeans, of course, at around 14. Um, found a service aspect really enlightening. And um, I did a uh, William Anglis, a bachelor's degree as well down here in Melbourne at Flagstaff, um, where I found a lot of my knowledge and obviously learning a lot of experience there. Um, and then, yeah, so eventually found myself in management roles and then slowly kind of went into entrepreneurial road and yeah, loving it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Are you loving it? Um, look, I did. <laughs> Obviously this year, you know, the amount of challenges that has been thrown, you know, into the spanner of the works is just beyond anything I would have signed up for. But, um, you know, once you're in knee deep, you, you can't really back out. So it's kind of, yeah, just treading along. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I mean, it's definitely that mix of creativity and optimism and just dogged determination that I suppose is getting a lot of businesses through the, this period. Um Let's just get a, give people a bit more of a sense of what they might find at, at Haiku. Um, what's some of the, the dishes that, you know, people come back for? Yeah, so Haiku is definitely, we do a seasonal change on the menu. So that's always great for our chefs as well as myself running the head chef side of things, um, as well as our customers being able to enjoy different dishes. But most definitely in terms of a signature, we're finding the Teshuka concept, which is obviously your morning breakfast kind of set. 
um, kind of thriving right now. I think in a lot of locations, you know, um, most Japanese cafes right now are pushing it out and the locals are definitely loving it. They're jumping on the boards. So that one's definitely been a big hit. Um, of course, the Okonomiyaki, which is your and your cabbage fritter dashi pancakes, um, that's been on the menu since day one. Still continues on as one of our strongest uh, dishes. I'm pretty sick of shredding cabbage now, but um, otherwise, um, lunch times we definitely do like a good old Japanese curry. There's no, there's no fusion in that one. That's just a good old classic. But um, yeah, we just really like to push the boundaries a bit with our cuisine um, choices. You know, we've morphed Turkish-inspired dishes with Japanese flavors. Um, a lot of Middle Eastern touches as well, which I'm a big fan of. And yeah, we have um, some really great ideas coming up for summer as well. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, even when you say the word, a lot of Japanese cafes in Melbourne are doing this. It's so interesting how the landscape's changed over the past 10 years. And, and there are so many cafes that are differentiating themselves and trying, well, yeah, just incorporating all kinds of different influences. I mean, do you tell us about it from your perspective. Like, what do you find exciting about the cafe landscape and, and the opportunities for innovation? Yeah, so obviously cafe is kind of like the big scene in Melbourne, you know, from a tourism aspect, from a local um, scene as well. And it's been so um, saturated, I guess, as of recently that, you know, you've had to stand out, um, whether it's kind of like a deli concept, obviously that's flourishing right now, um, or maybe more niche items where we just focus on, you know, if we're going to go to Japanese topics, maybe it's like mochi concept or pastries and things like that. So it's incredible to see the innovation coming out. Um, and not to say that we're, you know, part of that influence as well, but definitely having that signature of being Japanese is iconic to us and kind of created like a symbolism that we could continue to generate and keep the message really consistent across the board. Um, and yeah, just obviously the cafe scene is quite um, hard to really push like against restaurants and things like that. So obviously it's something that I've been trying to push really well, trying to match that kind of level of quality um, while still maintaining that relaxed environment of you know having a cuppa and enjoying the background music so yeah it's great to see what Melbourne's doing right now and you know the the neighborhood where you are I suppose it's um you know there's a lot of different people in the eastern suburbs of course but it doesn't have a reputation of being particularly sort of edgy I guess like do you how how do you strike that balance between innovation and, and I guess, you know, satisfying your own creative urges and those of your team and looking after customers that perhaps, I don't know, don't want to have their boundaries pushed too much. Yeah, no, it's a really good point. Um, if you look at like the map, obviously most Japanese cafes or restaurants are, tend to hover around the CBD, if not up north, where I guess the um, consumers up there are a bit more open to such ideas. But um yeah, we've had to balance that very delicately um, between, you know, maintaining that local, you know, your classic poached eggs on toast with bacon kind of concept while still um, enticing others to get a bit adventurous. And luckily, we've found a nice little nook here um, in Camberwell where a lot of the locals are happy to kind of explore different flavors. Um, and yeah, it's come to this point where they're pretty much I guess they have confidence in us and believe in what we produce. And yeah, I, I don't 
mind to keep pushing forward. <laughs> Yeah, that's so interesting. I suppose what you're getting at is is that trust that you build up. I mean, you've been there for quite a while. Under, under your first name, Hibiki, I suppose people really got to know you and trust you. Um, and then even after the rebrand, it's, you know, the same people. And, yeah, I suppose people are happy to put their brunch in your hands, would you say? Yeah, no, it's it's definitely great, especially like, you know, on the weekends as well. We've got people traveling quite afar, um, just popping in, you know, whether it's been, you know, due to Instagram or the current trend of like Japanese breakfast and brunch scenes. But um, it's getting to the point where the locals are definitely wrapping their head around it. Um, it. It gets a bit tricky, obviously, on the weekends. If it does get a bit busier, you know, I can't satisfy everyone as much as, you know, my regulars are the most important. It's, um, they're happy to wait and, you know, obviously there's takeaway options and, you know, with Future Next Door as well, like it's allowed that opportunity for our name to continue on through a bit of a takeaway setup um, and obviously branding sense as well. So, yeah, no, people around here have definitely been amazing for us. And, yeah, tell us about Future and, and what your – how did that spring up and what do you – tell us about it, what, is, what are the aims over there? So Future was a kind of a COVID – um, born idea, I'd have to say, <laughs> having, you know, been locked down for so long and facing the hard facts of running a business and without, you know, putting bums on seats, it was quite very mentally challenging knowing that I couldn't really satisfy the whole original idea. Um, so that kind of implemented a bit of a fear in us to the point where we thought, all right, let's jump online um, and create an alternative space. Definitely, we started selling Japanese goods, you know, I'm talking like good old mayonnaise, um, keeping mayo, otafuku, or anything kind of really originating from Japan. And we saw that moving during the lockdown. So, yeah, it definitely um, allowed us to make more room as well as growth. Um, so, yeah, so we're trying to definitely rebrand with obviously the new name, new direction, and jump online from obviously our own matcha our own coffee blends um we've got some hot chocolate blends getting launched and our own cold brew as well so we really want to try and hit that local um kind of very unique uh supplier i guess sense as well mm, yeah really interesting because i mean it does feel like an aligned business but it also has its own name and look and feel and the offerings quite different uh, but it does I mean last time I came to the cafe you know I was waiting a few minutes for a table and it was fantastic to go in there and browse for a while so I guess it also operates as a bit of a holding pen. Yeah I, I wanted to create it to the point where it's kind of a destination in essence so instead of just obviously coming in for a coffee and breakfast you know it allowed you to maybe pick up a gift here or there or maybe check out our merch or you know, obviously our Japanese alcohol selection. So it's great to kind of building up a little bit of a, I guess, a location down here in Camberwell and try and show that East can be cool, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, I mean, do you think, you know, we've, we've spoken in the last months about, you know, the perennial problems of staffing and costs. Um, none of that's getting, well, costs anyway is not getting easier. I'd love to know what you think about staffing, but to put a pin in that for a sec. Um, it's, do you feel like cafes need to have these multiple strands to their businesses uh, these days? Yeah, look, the costing front is definitely obviously one of the major topics of any owner, manager facing, you know, head chef that's, 
probably the amount of stress that we are under at the moment to try and balance between, you know, inflation costs, supplies running out of stock, drivers being late. It's, it's amazing how many um, supply chain issues there are at the moment. But, it, you know, we all managed to kind of pull through. Um, but that being said, I think the cafe scene definitely, you know, we've all seen prices rise um, quite substantially over the last I'd say a few months, you know, maybe a, your normal poached eggs and toast is going for 12, even 13. I've seen some places it's like 14. Um, but I think it's, it's now as an educational sense to push that, you know, nighttime, we're happy to pay, you know, close to 35, $40 for a pasta dish yet cafes, you know, everyone's not happy to pay over 25. I think that's kind of a barrier that slowly needs to break down in order for, you know, businesses to continue to thrive. I think. Yeah. Well, how do you do that? Is it through what you put on a plate? Because, I mean, for example, you've got this, I know you've got this barramundi brunch, which feels much more, you know, it's pushing into a different area and it does feel like the kind of dish you'd be pre- prepared to pay more than for, you know, eggs on toast. Um, is it that? Is it that sort of thing or what, yeah, like what are some of the levers that you can pull? Yeah, definitely like in specific to our menu in this sense, we do kind of try and use higher end, you know, produce, trying to stay locally, of course, as well, whilst still trying to keep our costs low. So, you know, obviously we try and apply to food cost, um, 30% margins and things like that. So we just got to be smart with prep as well as um, the type of fish or produce you use. Um, But yeah, definitely like right now as well, moving into, I guess harder times. I'm not too sure. Like I'm, I'm trying to remain skeptical, but you know, for my next menu, I'm actually looking at trying to um, go on a bit more of a budget friendly approach. Um, try and be really smart with our foods as well as, you know, use leftovers and things like that. So as much as um, I like to push towards those dinner prices as well. Um, yeah. I think now it's funnily enough going backwards. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting. So do you feel like, you've sort of pushed in you pushed the market sort of as far as you can but now actually there's these other realities coming into play that's that's perfect that's absolutely the nail on the hammer i think <laughs> we definitely found sales a little bit i think in general i've heard across the industry from a lot of friends and um fellow owners as well we've all talked that recently our sales are definitely fluctuating more and more like um it's getting very hard to read so whether that is something to do with pricing, um, I, it's right now it's just, yeah, I just have no idea. <laughs> There's so many variables involved to the point where I can't really read the market. So it's just believing in your products and, yeah, just trying to maintain quality and pricing. Yeah, that's so interesting and just sounds a little bit nerve-wracking as well because, as you say, there are so many variables and you don't want to keep chopping and changing. Um, but it must be really hard to move forward with confidence with changes and when it also feels like you're not moving forward in a stable environment it's like interest rates keep moving you know who knows what's happening with petrol prices etc etc it must be yeah quite challenging yeah no definitely it's it's had a couple of sleepless nights but um i'm starting to get used to it (laughs) what definitely using the lockdown as an example you know if we can push through you know being forced to stay home you know, curfews and things like that, you know, we've survived this long, so there's no point giving up just yet. And I think hospitality tends to be 
we're quite quite hard. We're quite a bit of an army, I guess. <laughs> Tough skinned, and yeah, no, we'll definitely pull through for this one. What about you? Know, you've got the nighttime as well. What are you seeing there in terms of a willingness to pay a bit more or to come more often? You know, how is that all shaking down? Yeah, so our nighttime, the concept which is haiku kuro, um, kuro meaning black in this sense. So it's been a little bit of a trickier market as well. Um, that only being said, I think the cafe itself is seen just it's just so prominent as a cafe. It's quite hard to translate that into a nighttime setting, you know, no matter how many, how much lights you dim or how much louder you make the music or anything like that. But um, that's been a bit of a trickier market. However, like you said, um, nighttime, I feel people are more inclined to spend a bit more, you know, it's obviously more of an opportunity to hang out with um, friends, social situations, drinking's obviously involved. So that's definitely another focus point that I'm going to be making um, as one of my priorities coming this summer change as well. Um, so we're going a bit more izakaya, so we're going very tapas vibes, so not too much big items and more of a sharing concept. And, um, yeah, we have some great ideas planned for that one too. Mm, that sounds cool. So it's more about, I guess, people just ordering a couple more things and then a couple more things and another drink rather than feeling like they're up for this massive commitment as soon as they walk in the door? Yes, correct. Yeah. I think it's it's derived from the Japanese izakaya concept, which is it's it's kind of nasty, it's cheap, it's dirty, it's quick. <laughs> That's the whole idea. You know, you go out with your businessman or your salaryman and, um, you know, drink till the, the boss goes home. I think that's the rule over there. So the idea behind it is obviously in that sense, um, but while still trying to promote the whole night concept around here because obviously nighttime around here is a little bit – it's getting there very much slowly. You know, we've had a – cool wine bar open up across the road we've had a pizzeria joint that's open down the road as well um so it's definitely slowly making um waves down here for sure and um i'd love to kind of make sure the local community has a has a spot to go for a, a cheeky little japanese drinking hole yeah yeah i love that um and uh we yeah we touched on staffing how is that how are you finding that at the moment have, have things eased up at all have you got some strategies to help new people school up quickly what are you doing yeah um i think from last time we spoke things were quite dire wasn't it <laughs> um, probably <laughs> yeah that was that was quite a tough few weeks and months for sure but definitely i think now for the first time i've seen a bit of like a balance um on both you know jobs needed versus jobs wanted um and then i've definitely started to cross train wherever i can um to the point where today for example we've had a had a little kitchen hand running out food you know he's um actually setting up cutlery and things like that so um i myself you know i'll jump in wherever i can so yeah it's just cross training at the moment and working within the soul of the business to see where there's growth of opportunity with staff members coming through and trying to generate passion, I guess, for the industry because it's a bit of a hard one, yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. I've actually haven't heard that term cross train before, but it just seems like, you know, take it take it out of the out of the gym and, and into the cafe. I think that's that's so smart. Is it I mean, are you finding people are responsive to that? Are they sort of into it? Yeah. it definitely has to come from a a good working culture that you know, promotes it, their willingness to do it as well. Um, 
so that itself is something that I've always underlined throughout my management. You know, I'm trying to be as, as kind as I can, where I can and be supportive. Um, and then in turn, I guess it kind of gains respect and, you know, people are happy to take a bullet for the business. And um, it, it's beautiful to see um, people get passionate as well as um, really put their hands down and, yeah, just really push through because obviously – we really all need it. We all really need it all right now. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you find that that um, builds a lot of empathy between um, different roles in the business when people are sort of taking a bit of a load off someone? Oh, absolutely. That's that's perfect as well. That's great to – it's great to open up their perspectives. I think perspective is so critical, you know, in understanding the pressure points across any part of the business, you know, whether it's the maitre d', the barista, runners, the dishwasher, the pass, and obviously – the mains and the chefs and things like that. So it's getting to the point where front of house and back of house is really engaging with one another and um, to the point where we're just getting along like, you know, two peas in a pod. It's it's quite, um, I think it's quite rare to see that in a front house, back of house environment, but it's great to cross that bridge in a nice manner. <laughs> yeah, so interesting. So for people who are listening to this, who might want to, you know, get a few nuggets of wisdom from your management experience across all different businesses. What kinds of things have you noticed or what do you what do you do either, you know, explicitly or that you just notice yourself doing that does promote a really good staff culture? Yeah, so definitely I know a lot of people say, you know, as an owner you should work um, on the business rather in the business and it, there's definitely a fine line between that as well. Like I, I agree to that to a fair degree, but, you know, at the end of the day, you should really be involved if you're really passionate about it. I mean, you know, how can you understand, you know, maybe a head chef's position if you've never been in their shoes? So um, that's definitely something I try and always convey to them that I'm there with them. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. Um, we're in war together. Um, to the stage where I'm kind of like their staff, just a team member as well, um, talk to one another as friends, but still maintain that professionalism, of course, by gaining respect from one another as well, rather than, you know, enforcing anything through, you know, orders and such things like that. So, yeah, it definitely does take a toll on myself, of course, mentally, but at the same time, the gratitude that comes out of it is, I guess it's priceless in that sense, but yeah. Wow, that's really, yeah, it's quite profound, Reggie. I love that. <laughs> it's really good. Um, I'd love to talk about coffee because I know you're a bit obsessed with it and I am too and, and Melbourne and Australia certainly is. Where do you, what, is, what are the trends that you're seeing in coffee at the moment? Well, coffee definitely, the whole specialty side of things is, or has always been booming, hasn't it, for the past decade, I'd say. It's been coming out. Um, our coffee scene itself we've kind of um this is it was interesting you've mentioned before trying to balance between the local you know safe scene as well as the adventurous one so that comes down to our bean as well we're trying to balance in between the two to have that that citrix citrus sorry fruity approach whilst maintaining kind of a robust chocolatey sense as well so that's our house blend um, which is unique to us. Um, but we've also kind of started delving into Japanese roasted coffee as well. So that's something we've really enjoyed. Um, our head baristas loved playing with different um, roasters. So we get in contact with a lot of roasters in Japan, uh, very small little micro roasters as well. Um, and then they send us a 
cheeky little shipment and we follow their orders and we just produce a sort of local scene can have a taste. Obviously roasting is very different in each location. I think Japan is quite profound actually for their filter coffees as well. So yeah, um, definitely the coffee scene is booming of course, but I guess an interesting right now is the price facts, I think with coffee. Yeah. What's happening with price? Um, I like, you know, back in the days, we were quite happy with paying, what's the average now, maybe 420 is it, I'd say, give or take. Yeah, so that's definitely something we're trying to keep to as well. Um, you know, I, I, I myself can't see myself paying you know, more than 450 even though I say this as an owner. Um, but I guess, you know, with the increasing wages and everything like that, it, it's it, the ir- irony in all this is that we're happy to pay for a milkshake. That's just what chocolate cream um a bit of a syrup for like eight nine dollars yet a coffee bean that gets you know roasted delivered and then on a machine that's like as expensive as your car with skills that take years of experience you know quite price sensitive on that so that's always been an interesting thing for me (laughs) totally i mean they're really great analogies um yeah, well, I mean, so as a customer, you want to pay four fifty. How much do you want to charge as an owner? Well, I, I'd love to do my best to look out for you know everyone's obviously the wages right now is something that's you know had to be done. It had to be changed, um, you know, to support our industry to make sure it's still enticing to make sure staff are getting you know what they deserve. So that's obviously an increase over the past. I guess, year, I'd say. Obviously, the minimum wage has risen quite substantially with inflation costs. I mean, our milk is still going up as we speak. Um, Our coffee is still relatively staying the same. So, yeah, it's just being smart and trying to um, use alternative supplies and things like that. But I think 450 is probably a reasonable amount, I'd say, yeah. Yeah, I don't reckon I would blink at 450 anywhere, yeah. And quite often, coffees are five dollars. Yes, absolutely. When you're suffering in alternative milks, we can charges and things. I think people are starting to get used to it, which is it's it's great to see because the amount of love and time you know taken into pouring a cup is is actually quite it goes down quite a long way. So yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, the standard is so high um, that yeah, it feels like the price shouldn't lag too far behind. Um, Vareji, I'm really ignorant about Japanese roasting and why it would be so different to roasting in Australia. What's the what's the deal there? Um, I do believe the Japanese roasting style of things is much more on a lighter approach um, to the point where obviously single origins is quite a focal point for them to really express that flavour of the beans. So, um, I know Japan likes to roast a bit lighter that way. They don't overburn any, you know, profiles and things like that. Um, so yeah, I think that just seems to working out really well. (laughs) And, um, we, we've loved having the chance to really, um, you know, educate, uh, the local community as well on like different supplies, different locations, you know, whether it's Tokyo, whether it's Osaka, um, it's great to maybe become like a little distributor in a sense because we also sell it online on the future side of things as well on our website. So, and yeah, it's been, we've been selling like hot rockets there as well. So definitely there's a scene here as well and we'd love to keep pushing it. 
Yeah, that's so cool. Um, all right, well, you mentioned you're going to change a few things up for summer. Can you give me a little sneak peek on one of the summer dishes that I should try next time I come in? Oh, absolutely. Um, okay, what, what have I got going on? Are we going to do like a kind of like a fusion? So in Japan, like we don't really use duck much at all. In fact, we only use it in kind of a soba sense. Um, so what I'm actually doing is we're going to be doing like a duck um, confit, like a teriyaki braised leg, and that's going to be the Benedict, um, which we always put on like a little rice base rather than toast, which has become iconic. That's going to be topped with some pickled fennel um, and then kind of like a duck suyu broth, which is pretty much like a shiitake kombu dashi base. Uh, we've got some soba chips getting thrown into it as well. And then this like a Japanese, like a hollandaise, which is called kimizu, which is using Japanese vinegar rather than the white vinegar. So it's got this citrix hit. So that's going to be a big one, I hope. <laughs> Ah, it sounds amazing. And okay, I would pay, I reckon, twenty eight fifty for that. What what are you gonna charge? Well <laughs> I'd have to look at the numbers as well on that one. You know, duck isn't the cheapest uh poultry out there, but um I'd probably try and stick to around twenty three, twenty four. Uh such a bargain. A I know, I'm still trying to um <laughs> I'm still a bit scared, I guess, of the current environments um the confidence as well but yeah no that's definitely going to be a great dish i think for summer yeah yeah it sounds amazing all right maybe 2650 okay let's meet in the middle but don't undersell yourself um okay rachel it's really great to have a chat with you is there anything else that you want to say uh no that's that's really it thank you so much for having me on here yeah, such a pleasure. Always love seeing what you're up to. And, um, yeah, all the best with um, juggling those many balls and feeding the good people of Melbourne. Thank you. No worries. Thanks again, Danny. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.